Hey, butchers. What up, what up? How's, uh, how's it going? All good. How you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Getting into startup stuff, you know, the usual. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm traveling tomorrow. Oh, nice. Where are you going? Going to Dubai for a couple of days. I have a couple of meetings to get out of the way. That sounds fun, though. Dubai, Dubai, like judging by what I've been seeing on like Twitter and, yeah. and TikTok and all those apps, like Dubai seems like a, a a fun place to be right now. Fun getaway, yeah. But I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna literally, like you know, hotel meeting, 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 hotel, airport. Oh, I feel. Yeah, I like that though. The, the change change of environment. I guess I've been. I've yeah, been exactly. You get out of the house too. a little bit, so yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. Get some Leave, room service uh, pizza. <laughs> on on my end it's very much the same as well just like being stuck to this monitor for for you can only make your desk like as roomy and as cozy as it is but then you still have to just stare at a screen and look at like aws errors and logs and shit and just gets yep. boring yep if, um yeah no it, it, it definitely uh calls for just the need to go out for a drive every now and then even just like walk or, around the block you know like listen to a podcast or, maybe maybe this one true but you know just yeah. go around venture person <laughs> just go just go out for a walk every every now and then to clear your head um, yeah i like that or or not that the season's back you could just go catch a catch a ball game or something yeah oh man remember last time we went to the uh the dodgers game was it the one against the mets i i think so yeah i think so i was too. just like celebrity watch it was just all the la new york rivalry brouhaha oh yeah I think Danny DeVito was there, wasn't he? Yeah, Danny DeVito. And then actually, I don't care who else was there. Danny DeVito was there. Yeah, that's all, that's all that matters. Um, Remember when we saw Robin wearing... Williams and Billy Crystal at San Francisco versus New York? Oh, that actually sounds... I think I do remember seeing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. this was 2008 or nine, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Robin Williams had his San Francisco hat on. I think uh, Billy had his New York hat on, his Yankees hat. And yeah, uh, as soon as the camera was on them, they were like trying to take it off each other. <laughs> I remember that. I like that. that was uh... that's that's honestly become becoming a little bit of my favorite like aspect of like sports games. If that makes any sense, like not of course I go to see the sports, but just, it's just cool to see who else is there. Because um, I remember yeah. in September when I went to the Rams versus Cardinals game at the at the new uh, SoFi Stadium. This is a football one, not a baseball one. Yeah. Um, but like Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre were there, and then Exhibit was there, YG was there. It was basically like all of Southern California's like royalty was there pretty much. Yeah. It's like uh it's cool. Actually, it's kind of like the Super Bowl where all the rappers were back, all the LA rappers. And remember, yeah. I, I can't I can't believe they actually hung 50 cent upside down. So like first of all, the guy has like 10% more <laughs> body fat than when he shot it when he was 20 something, right? He's upside down, you can see <laughs> him slowly choke. <laughs> Yeah, his, his face was getting like redder and he was bloated a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, I felt bad for him. I felt like <laughs> when they did it, like while he was hanging upside down, realizing that like 80 million people are watching, he's like, yo, this was, I'm firing my agent. This is not, this is not smart. <laughs> no. But the fact, the fact he was able to do it and yeah. hold it and perform, like, damn, that's, that's not bad at all. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, good yeah. for him. Yeah. True. I mean, I don't, not, the, would not, not be the best able to do that. Super Bowl halftime show. I know that's like, you know that, that's heresy with some people, but yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think, the best one is probably the Who, which was when Indy played uh, um, the Saints. Oh, interesting. When was that? What year was that? Oh, that was oh uh, oh nine ten. Oh, interesting. That was a while oh. ago. You were still in diapers. My my. Not to be like patriotic or anything, but I think my favorite parts of like all these football games has got to be like who sings the uh, national anthem. National anthem, because I remember um, there was one Seahawks game. I think it was a Super Bowl at the like Century Link Field. I think is what they call it, the Seahawks Stadium. But um, Ariana Grande was performing it. And like, yeah. wow, it's not yeah, bad course, at all. She could have been reading out of a phone book, and that would have been your same reaction. True. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You just don't, you don't come across, not to like fangirl or anything, but like you, you barely come across voices like that. It's actually pretty. See, it's moments like this where I wish we had a YouTube channel so that they can see your face literally fangirling. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, 
<laughs> Just <Wait>. all pretty. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I hope that's not how it actually sounds. It's like, on a list. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we, um, I do not get a spontaneous southern accent when I when I simp over girls. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I even do that. It's like if you've read like Of Mice and Men. Uh-huh. Have you read oh, yeah. man, John Steinbeck? <laughs> What's the name of the yeah. tall guy who's like ditzy around girls? The idiot. Was it? Uh, crap. I have to look this up. Wait. Is look it? it, up, is it, it up. Uh, of Mice and Men. Uh, so George and Lenny. I think it's Lenny, Lenny. was a stupid one, right? Yes. I actually really liked the Mice and Men. I loved it. Do you know what I loved more? When what? Family Guy redid it. I I didn't know that happened. Okay, I'm gonna watch that after this, but that's so cool. It's it's basically um Stewie's George and then Chris is <laughs> Chris is Lenny. But here's the thing. So part of the reason I love like you know art and photography is you get to freeze a moment in time, right? You get to look yeah. back into whatever year or whatever place, you know. Like I love watching found footage from New York city in the fifties and just look at it. And it's like, you feel like you're there. Oh, in the I 50s love that. And, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's the only way time travel is possible w- with True. a good novel, even though of mice and men is, is fiction. It's a novel. Um, it is a really good, uh, it's a really good representation of the life of the migrant ranch worker, right. in the great depression, like yeah. dust bowl era uh, out in exactly. California, just like hopping from ranch to ranch. And like a lot of people lived like that. It wasn't just in the book. True. Yeah. The number of people who remember it today is just so small. Like people you could ask directly. Exactly. Um, There's actually a, an interesting one of like on, on a similar note. Um, I think it was called, uh, I forgot the name because it's, it's a very Russian name basically, but it's this guy in Russia who wrote the, wrote a story about the life of a soldier in um, the gulags basically. And like you don't really have people around who've been there. Like you don't really survive that type of thing. But at the same time, it's like pretty crazy that there's like recollection as in like a story written by someone who's been there, you know? What, what, uh, what book was that? I actually have it behind me. That's why I wish we were like an audio podcast. Cause I could just look at my shelf. A video um, podcast. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, I hear this. One day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. That's it. This one looks like that. Oh wow! Yeah, but this is this was a very cool one. I, I I liked it a lot, and um, like the nice thing about it was that like it, it has a not a is that a prologue the the snippet before you get into the actual story. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the the prologue basically talked about like the historical context of when this book was put out, and it was like when people were trying to get rid of like Stalinism and all that yeah. stuff. Or and, if you've read um, No Easy Day, it's more modern. Oh, I re- it's it's on my list. I do want to check it out. Yeah. By the way, this is okay. We're going off on a total tangent here, but I was going to say, true. <laughs> did you know? Um. So No Easy Day is about the the mission that killed uh, Bin Laden, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, this is not directly related, but there is the only uh, Medal of Honor ever awarded in history. Mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, I phrased that wrong. There's only one Medal of Honor ever uh, awarded for an act that was captured on film. Oh. Yeah. And it was that one? No, 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 no. So this is, I mean, I thought this was uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, I, I thought it was like a, a scene from a movie or something. I looked into it and it's like, no, this whole thing is actually recorded on film. So, uh, Sergeant John Chapman, John Chapman. I do not think I've heard of him. Curious though. For events that happened in March, 2002, the entire thing was filmed from a, uh, I think it was either an Apache helicopter or a um, a gunship. Oh wow! Yeah, he received the medal posthumously. He passed away as a result of the events. But he he basically single handedly held back. Um, I think it was a uh, a Taliban offensive in the mountains, oh, and the wow. whole thing was caught 
from the air. Jeez. You That's... should see that. It's it's really unbelievable footage. And the fact that it isn't a movie uh yeah. blows my mind. Sooner or later it's gonna happen. But I think my my favorite like Medal of Honor story was definitely uh yeah, no, I I definitely need to check out the John chapman one because that's i've never yeah i've never even heard of something that was actually like recorded but i fell into this rabbit hole of like medal of honor recipients and i think the most inspiring one um what was his name i think it was somewhere here um yeah kyle carpenter have, have you heard of his story before no but i was gonna say i'm very happy to have just learned that jake gyllenhaal will be playing john chapman um in a movie called combat control that oh. was announced like a month ago so there oh, will nice. be a John Chapman movie. I love that. Yeah. I still need to look at the, um, what was the one with Bradley Cooper who played Chris Kyle? Oh, I haven't seen that one. I've not seen it. Uh, American I Sniper. do want to see it. American Sniper. Yeah, yeah. I do want to look at that one. Um, no. So, so going back to Kyle Carpenter, like the interesting thing about him is like he, so his act is he basically dove on a grenade to protect his, his, his squadron and ended okay. up surviving. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this dude's like young, 32 years old. Uh, and, and he basically did that, had to go through so many different surgeries and stuff. And it's just, yeah, such an inspiring story. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm seeing his picture. I remember the guy now. Yeah, yeah. Badass. By the way, what's, what's incredible is uh, I actually watched a uh, episode of Mythbusters where they actually checked out that myth. Like, can you actually save someone by jumping on a grenade? And you can. Oh, really? Yes. It actually works. It actually disperses huh. the uh, the force of the blast enough to to reduce the blast radius enough to save people in the immediate vicinity. Wow, you need okay. some like big jimmies to to do that though. Um, I think uh, I think wait. I would like maybe you should sit on it. You could save anyone from blast. <laughs> just <laughs> sit on it. Just have my 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 stomach's been like battle tested through Chipotle, so it'll probably survive. Just shove it in in <laughs> shove it in your belly button. <laughs> All you'll hear is <laughs> what was that? Nothing. It's like burp out a little smoke. Okay, done. Um, your best. <laughs> I like I like how big of a tangent we've made. This is gonna be quite quite a challenge in our podcasting careers to go back to the main topic of this episode. Yeah, how do how do we segue back from sitting on a grenade to um <laughs> yeah um so the Twitter board uh, tried to jump on a grenade themselves a little earlier. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. So yeah, I guess I could take it away from there. But um, yeah, I, I even mean, lost the tab where we had our notes because I just there's like everything's just Kyle Carpenter and Chris. Car okay. Anyhow, the Twitter board uh, tried to uh, bite the bullet a little earlier by uh, trying to get uh, Elon Musk to piss off. I think we should start with this. Uh, last week, we said that um, basically Parag Agarwal, the CEO of, of Twitter, um, would be certain um, that uh, Elon Musk will no longer attempt a hostile takeover because he got him to sign that document that, uh, or thought he would sign the document that said he would get a board seat in response for not buying more than 15% stake in the company. Um, mm. And then all was well. And then basically Elon said, nope, not signing that. And he puts forward a tender offer. Pretty much, yeah. So, so after he knows about like the whole, you know, after knowing about the whole fifteen percent kind of hard cap on a percentage that he can own of Twitter, um, he steps back and he tweets, "Oh, I've made an offer," and and a link to an SEC article, and that SEC article is basically his offer to buy Twitter. Um, he says he wants like the the terms of it um, is just wanting to purchase Twitter for fifty two dollars and twenty cents a share, if I remember correctly, and that. Kind of roughly translates to something along the lines of forty-three billion dollars. Now, it's not much for someone of Twitter's like uh, of Musk's like net worth. I don't think it's too horrible. Um, but of that course, would be like you being, going to Chipotle and asking for extra guac, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same proportion when, when of the, net worth. <laughs> and when the tax returns hit, and like extra guac, they all just gasp. <laughs> um, no, but um, yeah, so so. Of course, you know, offering to buy Twitter, which we kind of previously described as America's public, like town square, um, has definitely caused even more drama on Twitter and beyond. And um, this this basically caused um, Saudi's kingdom holdings. Um, so to kind of clarify, this is not their sovereign wealth fund, but it's like a private company. Um, and its chairman, who is a member of the royal family, 
Al-Walid bin Talal. Um, I can never know how to pronounce Arabic names when speaking in English. Should I go like Edward bin Talal? bin Talal? Because I introduced myself as Makes him sound like a rapper. <laughs> he wasn't a rapper once. I did I did pick up that. But, uh, but anyways. DJ Khaled or Khalid? <laughs> yeah, so what did bin Talal? Basically, yeah. Well, even thought um, basically, you know, said as Twitter's longest and largest shareholder, uh, he rejected the offer, and that's basically caused a little bit more of a drama. By um, the way, between uh, uh, update Musk on and- that, he, his personal shares in the company were all sold in 2019. So in 2019, so I don't, I don't understand why he wants to kind of you know throw his hat in the ring. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming Kingdom Holdings itself still owns some shares in Twitter. Maybe that's why. Probably because because uh, I mean makes if if he says as Twitter's longest and largest shareholder like I'm guessing he's referring to Kingdom Holdings right yeah yeah but, but you know, um, listen, the the weird thing is um to, just to clarify the position of of what's happened recently so you know Musk's offer can be rejected by the board which by the way barely has any part of the company like even like a microcosm of what Jack Dorsey has um. And there are there are also like many much larger individual owners, um, but that doesn't mean like you know catastrophe averted and business as usual. Now the reason most people hate uh, Twitter's board is because Twitter's board has presided over this company in one of the most extremely expansionary periods in American economic history, like that decade mm-hmm. of like post GFC, um, just kind of unrestrained growth. Uh, right. And most other tech companies and social media companies have been to the moon in terms of their valuation, in terms of stock price and 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 you know activity in their shares. But yeah. Twitter is still barely above IPO price. Yeah, I have noticed like there that. There are like ones this... that perform better than Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So like, the question Twitter's is, Twitter has been like pretty stagnant. Yeah, it's pretty stagnant. So the question is, you know, like a board has a fiduciary responsibility, right? That means mm-hmm. legally you must act in the best interest of the shareholder. This acquisition offer is really the best thing to happen to the shareholders since IPO. So on what grounds would they want to, um, you know, stop it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone like leaked the, the, you know, members of Twitter's board, as well as the, uh, like the percentage holdings that they have. And like yeah. I'd see why they'd reject a, a board seat or like that board the, the whole board situation between them and Musk didn't work out because I think the biggest stake that one of the board member owns is like 0.02%. So even with a hard cap of like 15%, you know who's going to be making the calls there. Yeah. So I own more of abstract than some of those board members own of Twitter. <laughs> Pretty much, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why am I not on your board? Uh well we don't have one at the moment we're pretty 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 early stage okay but then I'm telling second to of all she's gonna make you yeah <laughs> exactly uh but but um yeah anyway so like I th- I think with with all this drama between like Musk and Kingdom Holdings now and like pretty much every other member of the board mm-hmm. um of Twitter's board you know this brings up a lot of questions about what someone like Musk would do to Twitter if he owned the entire company instead of just fifteen percent. Right, like people have thrown around crazy ideas on my timeline that I've picked up, like, um, like an edit button, like bringing Trump back, uh, and, and like removing that whole ban thing in the in the name of free speech, and then like somehow being able to transact in Dogecoin if there's any sort of commerce, e-commerce economy that's going to be built on that platform. But you know, crazy stuff. Generally speaking, by the way, if he um, removes all censorship, Trump would probably be right back. Oh, true. Yeah, but the and thing I think, is, I don't think that's really censorship because they didn't shut him up until he started literally inciting a riot. So it's yeah. not like they kicked him off the second he became, you know, a contender in the primaries in 2015, 16. That right. would be censorship. But the dude was inciting a riot. Like yeah. anyone doing yeah. that would be kicked off a platform. Yeah, because because I think you need to look at what other companies did around the same time, like. Trump didn't only have a Twitter account. He also had a, a Facebook account and a, like multiple other social media accounts. And, you know, he had presence and access to all of them up until January 6th. So, you know, it was right. definitely a collective effort and, and it wasn't like a one-off thing that Twitter did. Like it, it was definitely, you know, something that was kind of agreed upon in the industry. Um, but so going back to like Musk's point specifically, before we kind of dive into what type of things he can do, um, 
I think it would kind of be smart to kind of point out that this wasn't Musk's first takeover. Um, you know, he's currently the the founder and kind of CEO of two different companies, SpaceX and Tesla. And, you know, SpaceX was a little cleaner. He did start out as a founder, but he was not actually a founder of Tesla. Um, you know, he wasn't actually there from the start. He was put in touch with the original co-founders and, you know, through either disagreements or through just not sure what sort of takeover tactics might have been happening there, but he eventually but, became. Hold on, the, when he when he bought into Tesla, Tesla was a private company. Meaning, when he bought shares, there has to be like a willing specific counterparty to the actual sale. You know, when I'm yeah. buying shares on the open market, I don't necessarily know who they came from or what market maker had them or whatever. Right, I'm just buying shares. So when when he bought into Tesla, like the founders of Tesla were very. I mean, there was no smoke and mirrors. They knew damn well that, you know, Elon is here making an offer and would like to purchase shares, right? Primary, secondary, I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, the thing with a public company is there's an element of force here because, yeah. you know, he, he's not buying Twitter shares from willing counterparties that he, he is interacting with directly. He's going on the public market and putting in bids that win and he's, he's yeah. buying up the shares. And that's the thing that boards are typically afraid of sometimes that, that you know, they construct this fiefdom where they can get compensated whatever they want just because they're a member of the board. Even though the company mm -hmm. performs shitty compared to all of their peers over the last decade, they can still sit there and be comped for everything and get a fat salary for voting yes on everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it just kind of becomes their little protectorate. Um, mm -hmm. And they kind of, A, they escape accountability themselves and nor do they actually hold the company and the CEO and other management accountable for anything they've done in the time period they've sat on the board mm -hmm. so it, there is such thing as a useless board and somebody floated the idea of banning the idea of uh you know defensive tactics like poison pills because if a company is so, being run shittily it should be open for for these kinds of maneuvers yeah so so for the quick thing for the sake of me and like listeners as well what is a poison pill a poison pill is just a fancy term for a um, uh, an internal like kind of corporate governance mechanism that allows you to basically flood the market with additional shares um, just to dilute a particular holder. But that ends up diluting every other holder, right? Yeah. So interesting. The only way this, by the way, a poison pill has never been activated in U.S. corporate history. Simply adopting oh. the poison pill on paper has been has been you know enough shark repellent. Nobody's actually gone through with the mass, uh, uh, the you know the the mass printing and distribution of shares. Um, so the argument is you know that needs to be a less um, detrimental tactic you know for the company's long term prospects than the actual takeover itself. This was done to protect companies from corporate raiders who wanted to tear apart and sell it for assets because management felt like it was better off as a company uh, rather than just you know a bunch of assets to be sold off but this isn't a corporate raider type situation because the person coming in to buy is coming in with a strategy to unlock value not necessarily because right. i want to shut it down and sell your you know sell your office buildings and stuff yeah no definitely and i think yeah i mean i mean i i have not you know takeovers i'm, I'm not sure like what sort of the dynamics of a takeover kind of looks like. I think this is the first one that's happened on a scale like this, where we're able to kind of nitpick and look into every single detail and look at the guy's history as well. Um, and, and, you know, doing that specifically kind of looking into this person, into Musk's history, I, I think it can help us uncover a lot of a, what sort of takeover is going to happen if one is going to happen and then B, what sort of things we can kind of expect if Musk is able to pull it off and become, if not a majority share, if not an owner, then a majority shareholder of you know Twitter, right? Well, um, he's floating an offer for all the shares, right? He wants to buy every share on the public market, which is basically a take private. In other words, it becomes a private company. Uh, it no longer publicly reports its earnings. It no longer trades, uh, you know, on the exchange. Nothing. Right. Yeah. So that's going to be, you know interesting i think in both like social media and corporate history but uh -huh. kind of sticking to track here let, let's let's basically briefly um dive into the origin stories of both of his current companies to kind of get a sense of the things that he does to companies or things that he that the way he approaches company building and then just scaling at a corporate level um 
to start off, just getting the less messy one out of the way, let's look at SpaceX, right? So SpaceX was a relatively simple origin story. He always wanted to get into space and was obsessed with the whole Mars idea, was I think a speaker or founding member, don't recall which one, of the Mars Society of you know needing to colonize Mars and 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 um you know basically making uh humanity a spacefaring civilization and, and race basically. Um he thought that in order to do that, he wanted to be able to have a system that would be able to build and launch rockets at a fraction of the cost of the existing cost by somehow kind of making that rockets parts or those rockets parts as reusable as possible. Um, that was always sort of the long-term mission, but he just needed a way to kind of get industry, get into the industry and get started in the first place. Um, I'm not sure if you recall this, but that's actually what led to his famous and somewhat inspiring trip to Russia where he was basically planning on purchasing a few like ICBMs using that PayPal money that he got, got pretty much laughed out of every office that he walked into. Um, and the then way, on um, the flight, I also tried to buy ICBMs with PayPal and I uh, wound up in Gitmo, but it's a separate story. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have, we should have another episode for that sponsored by, I don't know, the, the local falafel shop, maybe, I don't know. Anyways, sponsored so- by Donbass separatists. <laughs> so 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 going back to the 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 russia trip that went right right um musk's one um so he got pretty much got laughed out of every office that he walked into and then on the flight back uh he quite literally put together a spreadsheet of components used to construct a rocket and proved that his idea could be done that you can like literally buy those components build the rocket at a fraction of the price and then have enough to kind of eventually build something that would have that would be reusable. Um, that basically led them down the path of those fateful first four launches, where the first three ended up failing, and then just when they were a, when they were about to run out of funding, the fourth one was successful, and then they got that contract that they needed to get. And that was like their first revenue, and they kept building to pretty much where SpaceX is right now. So I call this one the less messy one simply because he was there from the start. Uh, he was technically a founder and a lot of the people that he started the company with, you know, um, Tom, I think it was either Tom, it's not Thomas Muller, but I think Andrew Muller or Thomas Muller and uh, Gwen Shotwell were there from the start as he was kickstarting this. So there wasn't much of a, of, of a takeover here, right? Um, but to dive into the one that did kind of seem like a takeover, um, we'll need to look at Tesla, right? So not to point out the obvious, but, you know, Musk was not really a founder of Tesla. He is a, he could be considered a founding member. I know a lot of media articles about him do call him the founder and CEO of Tesla. Um, To some degree, based off of performance, he can kind of be considered one. But um, if I recall correctly, by his, from, from Musk's biography that was written by Ashley Vance, which, by the way, highly recommend you check out since we kind of briefly mentioned books at the beginning. Um, it was actually the book that actually got me into reading in the first place. And I think you bought it for me in, in Turkey. I? I don't know if you remember that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were at a bookmark, uh, a bookstore in, in Istanbul and, uh, you, you kind of recommended Elon, Elon Musk's biography and bought it for me. And then I started reading it on the way back because I was going to LMU at the time. Uh, I still remember that. Yeah. But you're welcome. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of things you could just say that. I don't remember that, but you're welcome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, so judging by that book, which highly recommend you read, like Musk was always interested in electric vehicles and was actually put in touch with Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening. Uh, They're basically like a duo in the Bay area that were working on something like that. Now um, Eberhard had recently gone, gotten divorced and was looking to buy a sports car as you would. Uh, and that's kind of where he noticed that miles per, like miles per gallon for these cars were horrible. And with gas prices being bad and the effect that these sports cars had on the environment in terms of emissions and things, um, he just didn't bring himself around to pulling the trigger on, on, on an actual car. Um, basically that led to him, you know, meeting up with Mark Tarpening, needing to build, like getting the motivation to kind of build something for the first time, um, there's a lot of like details that I'm kind of skipping skipping over about the original founding team's um, communication with um, AC Propulsion, which is something that was doing the same thing. How both Tesla and AC Propulsion were going after Musk and trying to convince him of something, and how they were also laughed out of pretty much every VC office. Um, 
But you know, the the Tesla founders ended up actually going to the SpaceX HQ here in Hawthorne um, and pitching their idea to him, where he basically became um, the the pretty much the primary investor, the primary source of funding. Um, but then once he did that, you know, as the company kept growing and as you know, strategy kind of became more clear and technical obstacles were bypassed. Um, he definitely noticed that you know Musk and the founding team were kind of going in own separate directions, and pretty much one thing led to another, and he he became the uh, the fourth CEO of Tesla actually, and I think the second chairman of the board, um, according to that like CNBC video that I saw about this. Um, but once he actually did that, once he became like the face of Tesla, he immediately began began typing up a master plan of what Tesla needs to do to continue surviving, and you know. I highly, highly recommend you guys check it out. I think it would be awesome to tweet it from the Venture Bros podcast when this episode goes out. Um, but you know, it basically involved creating a luxury sports car as a technical moat, like rebuilding the way the electric, the the um, what are they called? The pretty much the the electric vehicles, like engines, were sort of built and using yeah, that. They kind of redesigned to... electric motors compared to a lot of the crap that had been in previous electric vehicles that were not commercial successes. Yeah, yeah, and and that's 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 kind of what served as the moat for them because they started from the ground up. Um, kind of a little bit of a tangent, but kind of relevant. You know, that's actually what gave Google its edge too. Um, when when search engines search engines were things that were still kind of kicking off in the first place. Um, you know, the massive two Google and Yahoo were kind of going at it. Yahoo was using a lot of existing parts to just put together or like Frankenstein together a system that was able to work in the short term. And Google actually took the time to re, like pretty much build all of their search systems from scratch um, to where now you know they have an engineering um, system in place that is efficient as um, when they made the YouTube acquisition, there wasn't these massive moving of parts. It was pretty much just a, you know, just click your back, click our backend into your platform and that's it. We'll just keep running, I guess. Yeah. So um, yeah, like it's, it's always, you know, from, from any single company's perspective, that's trying to build something as painful as it sounds. And as, as much shit you can get from different types of people for doing it because of how long it takes, it's always kind of the smarter thing to build something from scratch. Cause you know how it works basically. Yeah. Um, but going back to the main thing. Uh, so he, he basically wanted to do that for luxury sports cars, um, building the first kind of electric one using a, a, a chassis from Lotus, which is another car uh, manufacturer and then using the money and the, the the proceeds from that to kind of fund R&D for more affordable EVs, uh, which he was able to pull off with the Model S, the 3, the X, the Y. Um, and eventually, I think as of a couple of quarters ago, or as of like this quarter, maybe um, turn a profit, like become one of the few like American auto companies that have money coming in and have not gone under. Um, now, you know, in this entire master plan, batteries and solar panels definitely played into this from the perspective of kind of allowing each Tesla owner to reach zero, if not negative energy usage, meaning generating more power than they use and contributing that back to the grid. But the idea of EVs was always going to be the the, the core of his efforts in those early stages. Um, but, but zooming back out a little, right? Um, that's pretty much it. Like that's how kind of Elon became CEO of two separate companies. One a little easier than the other, like as in like SpaceX and Tesla, but when you step back and see what he's done to both. So he's taken something that's like, that didn't seem too promising at the start. It seemed like a failing operation. There wasn't much kind of going on in them. Um, he came in, picked that stuff up quite lot quite literally like pulled off what was once thought of as inachievable. Um, and, and it's led to massive amounts of just innovation, inspiration, kickstarting like industries and, getting the stagnant ones that is like kind of lit a fire under the asses of the whales and those stagnant industries. So what what kind of comes to mind when you look at his history is like, if he gets his hands on an already established company that is a massive player in an industry, what type of stuff do you think he'd be able to do with it? You know, there's a lot of questions for what he would want to do. And the thing is like, if he actually does succeed in taking it private, then he doesn't need anyone's permission. Um, you know, one, one thing that comes up again is like, oh, is he actually going to start factoring Doge into the Twitter, um, you know, the, 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 the Twitter mechanism, like, you know, is Doge going to feature as some kind of like commerce facilitator or some more 
you know, would it tie into the tipping mechanism a little more than what, you know, the Bitcoin Ethereum tipping is doing right now? Um, and one thing I thought about is like, you know, is it, is he going to refactor the Twitter identity? Uh, you know, the whole sign in with Twitter thing into being more of a web three kind of identity uh, in which you have a unique identifier somehow tied to the blockchain. Um, you know, is it going to feature heavily, more heavily on media? Is it going to take a more active stance on things like news? Will it start to produce and editorialize and distribute news? The thing is, Twitter has a lot of captive eyeballs, but he made a good point, which is that they're actually not really doing that much with it. Um, and the other issue is there are, you know, there are situations, sorry, there are things to clean up with Twitter, primarily the fact that it's currently overruled, overrun by bots. There's a lot of bots active oh. on Twitter. There's a lot of crypto spam bots, but there's also all kinds of non-crypto spam bots all over the site. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that he drew, att- drew attention to with respect to his own account. But I'm starting to wonder, um, maybe he can you know, do things where you know Facebook went wrong. Number one, the algorithm he has called for uh, publicly uh, to, be, to be made public. The Twitter mm-hmm. algorithms, I'm sure, are very closely guarded secret and a lot of things are deprioritized within the algorithm Mm -hmm. um and that kind of came to light when people were having like pandemic discussions of what it's what is versus what isn't conspiracy theory and whether certain things that everyone knew was bonkers should be allowed to exist on the timeline um just in a matter of absolute neutrality and fairness and how far he wants to take that remains to be seen honestly it's not like he has some like you know public diatribes about what he may or may not have said with respect to uh um, you know, uh, free speech. Um, but his position on certain things was clear. For example, in the US, he was very clear that he wanted uh, factories to remain open uh, as a matter of personal freedom to go to work during the pandemic. Right. Uh, he said anyone who wants to stay home can stay home if they want, but uh, you know, the government should not really have a, a, the ability to override people's individual choices. So that's not necessarily you know related to tweeting, but just his view on individual freedoms. But also note that in Shanghai, they uh, shut down the uh, Tesla factory. They shut down the plant, just like they shut down everything else in the city. And he remained pretty quiet about that. So mm-hmm. does he believe in absolute uh, neutrality and non-censorship absolutely everywhere? Or is he also going to be bound by his financial interests like he is in China? Because let's be honest, if you start criticizing the Chinese government publicly over their shutdown procedures, then you can pretty much you know kiss the Tesla plant goodbye. Yeah, and that means a lot of production and a lot of like that profit that we talked about, pretty much vanishing overnight. Yep. Yeah, basically. But I think, but uh, I don't know. Like, does he does he really go? Oh, we're going super Web three with Twitter. Like, I mean, Parag was doing that anyways. They started with the NFT things and all that crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much further does he want to take it? I don't know. And I can't imagine him trying to quiet down crypto spam bots if if he's just going to turn Twitter into Web three haven. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's a lot more. Exactly, and I mean, that's the, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind when you think of it. Like, okay, he, he has dealt with, you know, companies generally speaking that have turned into corporations with a lot of moving parts, right? You have, you know, uh, an, an auto company, you have a like space company, a space tech company. Um, but once you deal with something that is just very much at the mercy of the people using the platform, you know, you can only drive a car. You could do so many different things with Twitter. You can either build like a shit ton of bots, you can spread misinformation, you can spread accurate information, kind of build a following as a subject matter, like expert. Um, so how do you like address all those in like one fell swoop or, or as someone who's in charge of that, you know, like say, 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 say Elon Musk kind of like purchases Twitter. Um, is he going to put together like teams to, to work on moderation, moderating content, like limiting or containing the spread of misinformation um or is well, that's, go well, that's clearly full... not that, that's not what absolute free speech is about right because now exactly. we're going back to having an arbiter of deciding what isn't isn't real or necessary or whatever yeah so so you, you know that's going to be kind of unlikely but then you also have like you know is it going to go full meme lord and and, yeah. and pretty much turn twitter into this math massive like web3 thing the thing is, look, if I were CEO of Twitter and I was given absolute control over the platform, I would not know what changes to make without inviting regulatory scrutiny. 
you know, because again, section 230 specifically means that you are not editorializing, you are not creating or publishing stories in any knowing manner, similar to a newspaper, you know, you are just a platform. Um, so if I start making changes in that changes in that respect, then I basically become a news site, deciding what is or isn't newsworthy, deciding what is or isn't mm -hmm. real. Um, so you kind of have to open it up to everyone. But the problem is the flip side of that is, I mean, how are you going to get rid of spam and spam bots if you are going to um, truly be hands-off? It feels almost impossible. It, it does seem like, I, I think that, that this this exact question that you just asked is pretty much what Facebook and, and Twitter and all those other companies are spending millions, if not billions, like building teams to try to figure out, but, but no one's really figured it out just yet, right? Um, I think speaking about it from like an NFX perspective, um, that's just the price you pay for the bar being extremely low for you to get, for you to get set up on one of these social media platforms. Right. Because right. if I say I have a Twitter account, no one's going to bat an eye. You know, if, if I talk about a, a product with massive network effects, that is extremely difficult to get into. So if I say I have a Bloomberg terminal account, then that kind of carries weight. Right. Um, but going back to the point of social media companies, you know, it's, you know, if someone like Musk with his perspectives of free speech um, ends up grabbing that, then I think it's it's going to contribute to the noise of the platform, if that makes any sense. I don't think anything's going to be done to address any of the bot, the bot issues at the bot situation. And if anything, he's going to, you know, I, I honestly think, you know, people like Trump would make a comeback on Twitter if if he was to be an owner. Yeah, and the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think clearly yeah. they're going to disallow specific calls to violence, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely see that. But I do see, you know, with, with Twitter's recent additions, mm -hmm. I see them heading in the way of creating echo chambers. It's going to be very dangerous if they break if they like embrace musk's vision of free speech and bring back everyone that they've blocked basically um i don't know if well, you've, you've seen this on i was gonna oh, say yeah. you're gonna start getting like left-wing versions of the of the right-wing alternative twitters from a couple years ago a, a little bit yeah because I, I don't know if you've noticed this on your app but there was a recent update where it, it basically introduced the whole idea of twitter communities mm -hmm. um twitter communities are basically facebook groups right? You can tweet right, yeah. directly to the group and you can just get stuff directly from the group. So, you know, some, someone, whether extremely radical right wing, extremely radical left wing, doesn't matter, you know, signs up, makes, makes a community and then just throws a shit ton of inaccurate and false information in there. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you have like an army of people who are just going around abusing other users who have just want to be existing on the platform. Yeah. And that just makes Twitter a toxic enough platform where people like people will leave. And and the whole issue of like Twitter as a company or in terms of like market value stagnating will just gonna get worse as their value is gonna tank because people are going to leave. But then again, their value tanking would be irrelevant because that would only be Elon hurting his own, you know, investment. Because if it's if he takes it private, nobody owns Twitter stock but him. True. Yeah. So do you in think which case, who cares? Do you think he's gonna have right? So, yeah, I, I do definitely see that, but I do, I, I think there's a, like a two separate cons or two separate questions that kind of come to mind when you think of that, when, when you kind of want to take it from the, 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 it is what it is like, screw it perspective. Yeah. Um, the one thing that comes to mind is like, do you think he's going to have a little bit of a change of heart and basically go, okay, this whole Twitter thing, or like me acquiring Twitter, at least it's not going to be a meme, but it's going to be something that I need to take seriously. Um, and I will, you know, he will put the, the, the money and the technical, uh, chops kind of necessary in order to address a lot of the issues while still allowing everyone to say his or her voice. Yeah. Um, but if, if that change of heart doesn't happen, right. And, and, and Twitter becomes the, the, the toxic thing that, you know, is not anywhere It's pretty much just an equivalent of Facebook with a little bit of a pretty UX or UI, um, what does it mean for like founders like me and VCs like you where Twitter doesn't exist, where that's pretty much where we build our networks and where we get to know people in our industries? 
Man, I, I I don't know. I think well, I mean, everyone says oh, it's going to go to Discord, but that doesn't have the same mechanism, no. right? And yeah. also, I, Discord to me is just like word vomit. It's just it's way too much. It's just being blasting your face all the time. Um, yeah. You don't you don't get like these cogent uh, threads of uh, particular thoughts on particular topics. It's just everyone yelling at each other in various rooms. Um, yeah. To me, Twitter is you know a few friends together in your living room, but Discord is just a massive party where the music is too loud and everyone's yelling. Um, yeah. So I, where would Discord, where would Discourse rather go? Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I hope somebody builds something on Web3 that becomes the de facto. Uh, that does exist though. Um, have you heard of Mastodon? No, Mastodon. Hold on, why am I not hearing so, this? Yeah, Mastodon is a is a... Yeah, it's a so it's a decentralized um yeah, mastodon.social. It's it's a decentralized Twitter pretty much. Interesting. Wow, it launched 2016. That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's I think um when the whole Musk Twitter drama started coming up, like some like pretty prominent Twitter figures that I've heard of have started setting up accounts on there. Well, I mean, listen, I, I still remember the same thing happening with um what was it called that thing that um it had a pseudonymous founder called diamond hands uh oh not wall street bets that's what's reddit um no it's no, no like it wasn't stomp. it wasn't a subreddit it was damn it it became deso um i actually don't know yeah, so deso.org decentralized social blockchain, but there was uh, a layer two app built on top of that. Interesting. I, I I don't think I've heard of that one. Literally just decentralized Twitter. And if you went to the website, it also looked like decentralized Twitter. Is it is it just diamond? No, 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 no. No. Something BitClout. That was it. Oh, I have heard of BitCloud before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So BitCloud, you know, kind of, you know, it caught on a little bit very early on and then kind of went nowhere. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seemed very interesting. The fact that mm -hmm. DSO now exists to basically bring the layer one that powered BitCloud um, to the masses to help them build whatever social they want. It's sooner or later, this will, it will take on. And frankly, I think it's just a lot better to have, uh, you know, your identity tied to your, you know, dot ETH, um, ENS, mm -hmm. or to any particular uh, wallet where you can authenticate the fact that it is actually you and the posts are coming from you. Right. So you won't get the fake quote unquote hacks every time someone posts something they're afraid of. Um, oh, and at yeah. the same time, everything's committed to the blockchain. And, you know, so the edit button doesn't end up screwing people out of a job. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I do love the idea of like a decentralized thing where it's like, especially with social media, because, mm -hmm. you know, you own your data, you could say what you want, well, you know, with, with boundaries, of course. And then it's, it's pretty much the idea of how can I put it? If you're a creator whose full-time job is going to be the social media platform, then you can actually reap the full benefits of it. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to go for like brand deals or something because everything that you own is is your data. Like it, it's 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 yours. You go, yeah. you look after it. You own it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think is it my my main question when it comes to Web two, Web three, and just where social media is and all this is is it too late to kind of give up? Is it too early to give up on Web two? And 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 the reason I kind of say that is with Web three specifically, I feel like. In terms of historical parallels, we're still very much in like the pre-Tesla days of the EV industry, where any sort of social media attempt that comes out of it is like it's it's good, sure, but I think it's either lacking like scale, like the tech to scale to that many people that that a Web two social media company would, or it's just like the technology is not there, or you can't wrap your head around it to where where anyone can sign up. This this is a question about which layer one is is superior and which one would allow for that that many transactions per second and at a very low cost because obviously nobody wants to pay seventy bucks to tweet. Um, yeah, 
because then it would only be old Elon Musk tweeting all day. Um, yeah, pretty much. But, you know, we would have to save up for a year to have to like tweet a tweet and a half, maybe. But um, True. the thing is, w- what Elon actually wants to do with Twitter ultimately, mm-hmm. th- there is one issue here, which is he claims that buying Twitter will basically clean up the garbage on it and allow it to unlock value. And most people trust things like social media because uh, they believe that it is less manipulated than the 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 you know public uh, mainstream media. I mean that's to be debated. But one thing is right. for sure is that if social media is basically under the purview of one person, and we have no absolute guarantees that that one person may or may not start uh, you know changing the algorithm in the background simply because they can and they're answerable to no one because it's a private company. Uh, and there is no board because he owns it outright, then have we really solved the issue of the mainstream media being not trustworthy right. or willingly censoring facts or whatever, right? Yeah. Think of why billionaires buy newspapers and buy media companies anyways. This is to control the narrative a little bit? Basically, right? I mean, there's a good yeah. scene in, in The Crown where uh, you know a newspaper comes to the, uh, the the personal secretary of the Queen and says, "Listen, you know, I don't mean to be offensive, but there's a story that's going to run tomorrow, and uh, Her Majesty's not going to like it." Uh, and, and and the secretary was like, "Well, you know, make it go away." The guy said, "Well, I mean, I I really can't." And he's like, "You know, forgive me, but I thought the point of owning the paper was that you would be able to do that." Um, oh. Which is, you know, good point. Is that yeah. not the? I mean, if the, I'm just saying, like, if the new, if I owned the New York Times, the front page would be how amazing I am. It was just, just a huge story every day, just fanfare, <laughs> and like the the paper can be like pre torn into confetti to throw at me in the streets. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a reason uh, very wealthy people have wanted to own media and media outlets for a long time. Um, right. And honestly, look. Take Zuck, for example. Okay. So Zuck uh-huh. has a lot of control over Facebook slash Meta. I'm not even calling it Meta, it's Facebook. Because if if he has massive control over that company, even with it being public and even there being a board. Um, mm-hmm. and it's designed that way. The internal governance is designed that way. He made a lot of key decisions that allowed for things like the 2016 manipulation of public opinion and the run-up to the election to happen. You know, it was his idea to not start like, you know, forcing forcible or sorry, forcing like, you know, questionable content off of, um, off of, uh, the news feeds. It was his idea to allow, you know, politicians to advertise whatever on Facebook. I mean, he could have shut all of that down and done away with the risk, but you know, to him, that's a lot of revenue you're throwing away. True. You know, so you know, maybe in that case, like I don't. By the way, I'm not saying Zuck somehow colluded with the Russians or anything. I, I just think right. he 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 had his hand in a lot of decisions that basically dictated what was and wasn't allowed in the so-called you know public uh, public market where anyone was allowed to climb on a soapbox and scream. Yeah, yeah. And as think- a result, we have 2016 and what happened in 2016. Pretty much. Yeah. I think I think what's going to be like this is a pipe dream of course, but can you imagine if like the, all of this stuff and all this discourse basically gets too much to handle and people just go back to like those Hyde Parks like speakers corners just quite literally find a public park set up a soapbox and just like scream your opinions until someone screams back. Well, here's the thing, the the ability to very cheaply speak freely has created the opportunity for a lot more bullshit speech that is true think of the days and, and that, in think of think of, think of like the 1960s right if i wanted to broadcast a documentary that was all conspiracy theories basically i would have to pay a production company and everyone on the staff to actually come together and produce this documentary and then i'd have to like personally shop it to abc nbc cbs you know whoever <laughs> to actually give me the airtime you know, to buy the rights mm-hmm. from me and air it. And then that would have to get broadcast to everybody's home and people would watch it then. Whereas now yeah. I can relatively cheaply put together something that looks, eh, you know, watchable and put it on mm-hmm. YouTube and spend a few thousand dollars advertising it. And it goes viral. And all of a sudden I've convinced everyone that cheesecake is made from unicorn blood. Uh, and that's the massive conspiracy. Right. Um, yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. 
Sure. So the, the same reason we have so much interesting content nowadays is the reason we have so much crap content. And I agree with the opinion that it's almost impossible to ban garbage, but you can drown it out with good stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, I think the, the attempt to emphasize that mm-hmm. was definitely those algorithms that, that, yep. that Musk called for like the open sourcing of, I think it's like, yeah, okay. How do you build out algorithms to tell garbage content from good content? And then, you know, something could be put together. Like you can totally have like a birdemic effect too, where something's like bad, but it's kind of good. And people want to want to look at it. Like when something's not, there's a difference between something like content being bad and content being inaccurate or, or, or like misinforming people. Right. And unless you have like a very, very unfortunate position of like a human being basically sitting down, actually monitoring all that stuff and doing the lookups, to see if something's actually like good content or accurate content to be on that. Um, you're just going to keep building these automated systems that will have loopholes and they're just going to mm-hmm. recommend wrong stuff. And it's going to create echo chambers and wrong information. And if you've been following my Twitter recently, I have been giving very serious thought to just like retiring and moving to Kerala and farming mangoes and living among the monkeys. <laughs> Yeah. With like no electronics, not even an ebook. Like literally, I'm uh-huh. only gonna read print, and I, I don't want I don't want to see a screen ever again. Uh-huh. Um, and and the the longer I think about it, the less insane it seems, which probably means I am descending into madness. But if it doesn't, then it's a very comforting <laughs> thought. Yeah, no, I see that. I mean, I I quite literally, I think both of our jobs is is just staring at screens for like twelve to sixteen hours a day, and. Yeah. The the number of, of of times I've been told by either founders or investors to just go get lost in Joshua Tree and just come back and like find yourself basically yeah. uh has 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 been enough to a point where I'm actually considering it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. am uh I'm I'm really I'm I may do it. You you're welcome to come eat mangoes on my farm. <laughs> I, I would love that and just you may have monkeys. to fight a monkey, but you can still have mangoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring I'll bring like boxing gloves. <laughs> We're getting a, of all the things that can cancel us, it's gonna be PETA. Nobody's going to attack a monkey. We are friends with no. the monkeys, we coexist with them, we share yes. mangoes. Yes, exactly. My brother is monkey, so you know I can't have anything against monkeys. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say monkey. you're a monkey, but based off of our investment decisions, I would say we're apes for sure. Yes. <laughs> Board apes. <laughs> Board apes. And we're getting super. Exactly. Clear, right? Anyhow. Exactly. Hey, I got to go. Marketing, uh, right? <laughs> no. I got to go. I got to go pack a bag because I got to wake up early in the morning to get out of here. Oh, man. I got to go deploy something. So, you know, I used to be fun. able to do day trips, like to go in the morning and, and come back at night. But uh-huh. I think a couple of years ago, something just like clicked in my brain where it's like, dude, no, I'm going to go to the hotel and actually get restful sleep for the night and we'll travel tomorrow. I'm not doing that again. Um, I, feel. I think it's like, yeah, you just switch off from that, basically. Like it's no longer a grind. But if you give yourself enough of a break, you could totally just get back to doing it. It just sucks when you're like, you know, you're between meetings and you got to like go to a mall to walk around for a bit and kill time. I'd like yeah. to be able. I'd like to be able to go back to the hotel room and actually like have a dependable bathroom and maybe watch TV for a little bit and order room service, and then I'll go to the meeting. True. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's just things that made sense when you were like twenty four that you cannot do at thirty one anymore. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, stay I, up uh, all night? Are you insane? <laughs> I mean, I think even like I don't know if I've like mentally aged past my physical age, but. There is some stuff I did like engineering undergrad of like just downing cans of monster and just working I could never through two crap. different nights. Yeah, yeah. Now, nowadays, like I take a sip and I'm like, I, it's, I'm like jittery and I need to like go for a walk or like sit down. Yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. Like some, yeah. Specifically engineering undergrad makes you do very weird shit. That's for sure. I felt bad for the engineering undergrads. You're always like absolutely miserable. Oh yeah. And and I mean like even even talking to talking to a lot of my classmates now, just like reconnecting with them, they're like, I am a whole different, much calmer person now that we graduated. Yeah, yeah. And to me, yeah. like now a, a real difficult like evening is one where I've had two back to back meetings and like couldn't pee in the middle. 
that is the real difficulty <laughs> right? you know whereas like yeah. i don't know how yeah. i did half the shit i did in undergrad but. true but yeah different yeah. times for sure let's go back in anyways can't have a safe trip and Thank i'll you. catch you uh, next time see you on the flip side